0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. What a beautiful day it is, isn't it? Great day to be, to bring a sacrifice of worship to our Lord. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, Luke chapter 7. While you're turning to Luke 7, I'm just going to reiterate this one more week, that we this, this uh, teaching, which is going to be a year-long teaching, uh, doing life together, can be actually obtained in these booklets, and we talked about this last week, booklets available at the Information Center Uh, A pack of six here, which would cover the full series, is $60. It covers our cost of getting them in. If you want to go a section at a time, then the next one coming up, connecting with God's family going forward, uh, they're $10. And so those are available. There's, I think, of the bundles, at least beginning of last service, there was a couple bundles left. Uh, and there's a few of these single ones as well. So just avail yourself of that. They can be done individually. as a personal study. I did that. They are really meant to be done maybe as a family, as a group, if people we work with, people that I uh, have friends with. You can do that as well. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's follow along. I might just pause a little bit throughout here. It's important maybe to catch the significance and the emphasis that Luke was emphasizing as he wrote through here. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he wanted the Pharisees, he went to the Pharisees' house and reclined at the table. I need to pause here for a second. Pharisees were considered the top end of the religious order. They were the ones like next to God. They spoke on behalf of God and they knew God. So in a day where not everybody could read, very few had any real education. In a day of a, a tiered system of social, economical levels, the Pharisees were up there at the top. They were not only spiritual leaders, but they really were your practical, almost governmental leaders for everyday life. Pharisees. Big, they're the top guns. And in this particular instance, invited Jesus, a Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And they reclined at a table. Let me make mention of a table because in about an hour and a half, we we're going to be reclining at a table, most of us, of some type. That's not the kind of table they reclined at. Whatever you've got in mind is not what they had. What they had, it was on the floor. They had mats or, or something on the floor by which they sat. They did not sit down, pull out a chair, sit at a table. So it's on the floor. So get that in your mind. Now let's go through the story. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Is this man, if this man, remember he's thinking this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. (laughs) See, that pause here for a second. Never think a thought if you don't want Jesus to know it. Jesus answered him, 40, Simon, called by name, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, toward the woman said to Simon, do you see this woman? I'm going to say that is a rhetorical question. She's right there. As a matter of fact, she was actually the center of attention of what was happening. But Simon, do you see her? The right answer would be, no, he didn't. If Simon was to give the right answer, he would admit, no, I haven't been. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, this woman that he was, this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great Love has shown, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Now the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? 50. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's just open our hearts to the Lord before we just have a moment with this scripture. Lord, we ask our hearts can be closed to these things. Maybe we have heard this story so many times, but today, would you, with an open heart, would you speak to us? Speak to us afresh as if this was the first time we heard it. Show us what you need to show us. I pray that you would guide us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I just want to welcome those who are joining us online. Uh, Welcome, live stream. In this passage of Scripture, there's three things I want to just share. These are the three points as I was going through this. The focus today, the title of my message is, and it's following along again with these books, it's following along with a theme, and it's the title that they gave, Surrendering Your Life for God's Pleasure. That's what it is, Surrendering Your Life for God's Pleasure. And the text was the text we just read. Three things we're going to grab from this. Number one, release a fragrance the Lord will remember. Let me explain. I don't know if you've been in a country that the animals roam the streets freely. If you have, you know what goes in comes out. And it comes out on the street. And it gets all mingled with everything else, the dust and everything else in the street. So when you walk on the streets, you're not just walking on, you're certainly not walking on pavement, you're not walking on concrete, you're not just walking on packed down dirt, you're walking on a lot of dung, manure. And you're not wearing cowboy boots, you're wearing sandals, leather sandals most likely. And so what's on the street gets on you, specifically your feet. Now, add to that... It's hot. The smell just on sweaty feet on leather, which kind of stinks anyway. You put all that in place, plus manure on your feet, it's nasty. Okay? We well, can agree with that? It's just plain nasty. That's, that's the culture. Jesus goes into a Pharisee's. Remember, he's top dog of the religious sect. He goes into the Pharisee's place by invitation. He just didn't you know, knock at the door and say, Hey, can I come in and hang out for a while? By invitation, there's a dinner. Jesus is the guest of honor. When the Pharisee makes mention of Jesus, he calls him teacher, but he should have called him much more than that. It was actually somewhat of a derogative term. He was was mocking because, I mean, after all, he was a Pharisee. And every single home, rich, middle class, and poor, most of them were poor, all of them had basins to wash your feet. Now, in our home, Lori, in my home, our kids know that if they come into our home, our daughter and, her, and our son-in-law visited yesterday, when they come into our home, they take their shoes off the door. They just do that. We do that so that whatever sediment from the streets don't get tramped around, traced around throughout our home. That's just custom. The custom of the day is that when you would come to the home, there would be a basin. Either it would be in the ground or it would be above ground, and the basin would be with water, and the water was always there. Typically, the servant of the home would wash the feet. Or if nothing else, the water was there. If nobody, like, you, could, you could proceed to wash your own feet. There was some soap there because you not only had to get the stuff off them, you had to try to deal with the smell. Because your dinner, you're going for dinner, your feet was everybody's business. I mean, seriously. So if you go to the dinner table, which you will in a while, you know, your feet probably aren't each other's business. You will slip under a table and that's that. But then you were on the ground and your feet were out to the side. You didn't typically sit Indian style. Your feet were out to the side and therefore my feet's your business and, you, and that person's feet's my business. And if there's any stench, it's everybody's business. I mean, it's everybody that's in the house. It's, it's not something appealing for your meal. This is important for us to take the time because this is the custom. This is why this situation is a big deal. So Jesus went to the house. He's the guest of honor. Not only is there no servant, nobody to wash their feet, his feet. There's not even anything to wash his feet with. He comes into the house and he sits down, and this is not a oops accidental. This is not a slip up moment. This is intentional. And as Jesus is down, everyone knows what the Pharisee has just done. It was wrong, wrong on every level, what he just did to Jesus. Everybody knows. There's tension. Jesus is at the table and is saying nothing about it. But what is happening, Jesus is invited, but there was an uninvited guest who came in. And she's referred to as the woman. But the Pharisee, when he makes reference of her, he calls her the sinner. Now, I'm dragging the S on because I think he would have, too, if it was in the right language. You know, you can almost see, you could just see the snake, the serpent. She was a sinner that got in. And she is standing close to Jesus. She has the full flare of his stinking feet. And she's close to Jesus. The others probably gave him a bit of space. And she is broken. She's absolutely broken. This is not a moment of adulation for her. This is a moment where she is broken to be in the presence of him. And as she is standing at his feet, she is weeping. Not standing or kneeling, but she is weeping. And so flow the tears from her face. She doesn't care what people are thinking about her right now. And a very interesting thing is taking place because she is really inadvertently drawing attention to herself. You see, the tension was on Jesus. He's the guest of honor. I mean, he's the one who heals the sick, opens the blind eyes. The deaf can, can, heal, can hear. The lame can walk. You know, the leprosy drops off. He can walk on water. Others can walk on water if he invites them. He's the one who stills the storms, makes the dead rise. I mean, this is Jesus here. This is Jesus. And yet, the attention is now turned to this woman who's weeping over his feet, and her tears are coming down with such streams. They soak his feet in salt water, and then she takes her hair. She dismantles her glory. See, the glory of a woman is her hair. And her hair would not, would not be long. Many have come, your hair's down. That wouldn't have been the custom of the day. They would put their hair up. That was the custom. But in that moment, his feet are soaked. Something has to be done. She takes her hair. Nobody's offering any towel. Nobody's offering anything to Jesus. But she is not to be put back. She takes her hair. She drops her glory. She drops her pride. She drops her dignity, and she proceeds to wipe off the manure of Jesus' feet with her hair. Very dramatic, isn't it? Uh, This story paints such pictures in my mind's eye to see this. And then she had brought with her, the only thing she brought with her into that room, the purpose, the whole purpose of her coming. She hadn't planned all that. The purpose of her coming was to break perfume on Jesus. Now, you would normally break it upon the head, but in this particular story, she just washed his feet. She takes the perfume. She feels unworthy to do anymore. She takes the perfume, and she spills it and pours it upon his feet. Expensive perfume. Expensive. And the Pharisee's upset. The Pharisee's upset because she is a sinner. Sinner. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir. We feel this. You're upset too. I'm upset. This upsets me that this took place. And then the Pharisee turns and he makes the, you know, he thinks about this. And Jesus says, by the way, I know what you're thinking. Matter of fact, probably everybody was thinking the same thing. She had humbled herself. I want to read a scripture. Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness, our righteousness and glory are nothing but filthy rags fit only to wipe his feet. Can I read that again? This is the prophet Isaiah. Our righteousness and glory are nothing but filthy rags fit only to wipe Jesus' feet. So Luke seven forty four, Jesus turns to the woman and says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I personally believe could be wrong, but I sense the nature of Jesus. I believe tears are coming down his face too. Do you? This is moving. Just the way he addresses this. She has not stopped wiping them with her hair. Simon, here's the point. Simon wanted Jesus there, but Simon didn't want to honor Jesus. He wanted Jesus, but did not, want, did not honor Jesus. Now here's, this is the kick out here. So many times we say we want more of Jesus, but we don't give him honor. I want more of you, but I don't give you honor. I want, we say it, saying it is so cheap. That invitation is so cheap if we can't follow it up with a release of the fragrance of worship. First point release a fragrance the Lord will remember. Matthew chapter 26 tells a similar story where it's poured upon Jesus, and it says Jesus declared for many days they would smell that scent. For many days, the fragrance of her worship. This is one of the best passages, I believe, anywhere in the text of Scripture that describes worship, even though the word worship is never mentioned once. But I don't think there could be a better text, really, to describe the extravagance and the brokenness and the sweetness and the purity and the wholeness of this woman's worship towards Jesus. She released... A fragrance the Lord would always remember. There were a pile of people. The room, I'm going to guess, is full of people. Not one of those people in that room, not one of them attained the intimacy with Jesus that day that she did. She went to the front of the line. To the front of the line. You know, we we need to release our worship. And what holds us back is our pride. What holds us back might not be the spirit of the Pharisee, which is... Really puffed up, but it might be just a bit of smugness, a bit of I've been there, done it, a bit of I've been a Christian for a while, a bit of you know, I don't need to be like that person. Maybe we do. There was a church Lori and I pastored at, and, and there was a gal, she was Down syndrome. She sat in the front row, middle section, front row, and as a Downs gal, she again in her mid 30s, she um, uh, What she could not hold, she could not hold a note in a in a bag. She could not sing at all. If she happened to hit the right key, it was quite by accident. She she could not sing, and that's not unusual to the syndrome. Uh, But what she couldn't do in skill, she made up for in volume. Oh, could she sing? She was so loud. Matter of fact, she threw one us off one time. They didn't even know where they were anymore because she, like, drowned them out. And sometimes the sound, the people in the sound booth, they didn't know if something was squealing. And, you know, it, it, it truly did sound like a dying animal somewhere. But she sang with all her heart. Now, ask if anybody there really minded it because she sang to her Lord. She sang with everything in her. And it was sweet. I believe she was releasing a fragrance he would always remember. We've done cleansing stream ministry. We've done it here. Been a part of the ministry team at the front. and We get to the point where people get things broken off their life. And they're walking in freedom. And their hearts are being mended. And, and brokenness mended. And, and hurts healed. And there's some of the most amazing. These are my favorite points. Where you see these women who come forward for prayer. You know, they look like a million bucks. They look like they just stopped out of whatever that magazine is that they step out of. And they've their makeup's perfect, and their hair is perfect, and everything is perfect. And then God and them have a moment. You know, you know where I'm going. And, and they are just undone in the presence of their Lord. And God heals them and ministers to them. And minutes later, they don't look like the same person. It's hilarious. I mean, their lipstick's all over. Mascara has totally covered their face. Their nose is red. Their eyes are puffy, and their hair's disheveled. And they couldn't care less. Why? Because they released a fragrance that stood in stark contrast to their pride. It was in humility. Can I encourage one of the greatest things is our pride that stands in the way of a fragrance before God. Release it. Release whatever the pride is. Release that. Maybe, unbeknown, you need to identify what that might be. You know, it could could be the smugness of being in in church. It could be the smugness of of feeling you can multitask while in the presence of your holy God. And there's a smugness there. There's a smugness that that I don't need to give him the honor that he is due. See, worship is not about me. It's about him. And that woman was all about Jesus that day. And she couldn't stand to see what was happening. And she had to do what she did. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Look at the heart that just came out today. And the smell of sweet worship would reside forever from that woman. And I want to challenge, what is it that holds us back? You know, one of the things that uh, the Lord has dealt with me when it comes to worship, and worship together here, is even my posture. I'm not going to make a big thing out of it, but I know it's true for me. You know, it's, it's comfortable to stand with your hands in pockets and sing worship. I don't, because I really think he's worth it. He's worth more than that. I know he's not taken up with all of that. I know I don't have to wear a three-piece suit. But there's something about what comes out of my heart. What's the smell coming from me? Is the smell the smell of a Pharisee? Is the smell the smell of everyone else in the room who did nothing else? Or is it the smell of a woman who's absolutely broken and doesn't really care? doesn't really care what you think. You know, I personally find it comfortable to stand like this. I had somebody come up at the end of last service, and they were standing like this talking to me on purpose. They were taunting me. They were just. But I, I find it comfortable. I find my arms kind of heavy, and so i often stand like this. And I had a sweet lady in the church previous, and she didn't mean anything. Actually, I was really glad. She, she came up and she says, Pastor, do you realize you're standing talking to people, and you're going like this? She says, you know, it just kind of looks like you're smug. I don't know if she used those words. And, and she wasn't meaning anything out of it, but I realized it does maybe look like that, too. And so I've tried to, you know, be more whatever. To not give the appearance that it's, it's just a comfortable stand. But here's the thing: sometimes we have told so loosely, here's the thing, we have so loosely approached him. You see, the Pharisee invited him, but really didn't honor him. And we say we want him, but have we released something of a fragrance that has cost us something? There's a great question. The great question comes to that second. Release a fragrance the Lord remembers. So what fragrance am I? We we are all releasing it. It's not that you choose to, you release it. But what is it? So it brings me to the second point. And the second one is this. Reclaim the sacrifice of worship. Topic here today is about surrendering and worship. Reclaim the sacrifice of worship. And the best illustration for this is if you were to go to your Bible and you were to find the exact middle of your Bible, you'd probably land in the book of Job. Job is arguably the oldest book first written. And if you read the story of Job, most people read the story of Job when they're suffering. It's a great book when you're dealing with pain and difficulty. If you go to the first chapter of Job, there's, a, there's this, it's a book on warfare. If you go to the first chapter of Job, you have this in the first chapter, Satan going before God in the celestial. And Satan says that Job is such a righteous man because, God, you've got your hedge of protection about him. If you just let me at him for a while, if you remove your protection from him, he won't be so righteous. That's the first chapter of Job. And so God gives him a little longer leash with Job. And Satan goes to work. And so Satan attacks Job. And you go into the story, and and the story is where Satan... Then uh, Job loses everything, all his livestock, all his livelihood. He loses his uh, servants, all the servants. People die. His family all die. And then he loses his health. Everything is taken from him in this story. It's interesting as you go to the, the very first thing. Do you remember the very first thing that Satan touched? The very first thing was Satan touched his livestock. The first thing wasn't his health. The first thing wasn't his family. The first thing wasn't his friends. The first thing wasn't his wealth. The first thing was his livestock. You see, in the first chapter, you also read that Job, every single day, would, back in that day, they would kill their animals as a sacrifice. That was acceptable. They would kill their animals as sacrifice as worship. And Job would pray for his family. He would pray for his sons and his daughters and sacrifice his livestock and pray for his sons. And he would build an altar. That was his worship. The very first thing Satan attacked was his ability to worship. Here's what I want to say. Worship is the jugular vein of life in God's kingdom. Only after Satan took away Job's ability to worship was Satan allowed to touch anything else. If Satan can stop your worship, he has access to anything else in your life. I wonder if we think about that. If he can stop you worshiping, he has access to everything else. He will go first after your worship. Worship is you. Now, worship is not singing songs. You know worship is more than singing songs. Goodness, they sing songs and they're not worshiping all around the world. They're not worshiping. It's more than singing songs. Worship is a heart posture. It's about a worshiper. It's a position of your heart towards him who is worthy. Worship comes from the word worth. Worth, something's worth, T-H, worth Ship. And he is worth my worship. And so worship, you worship that which is worth. So you, you, know, you go to your magistrates, my worship, your worship. You'll say that to the queen, the king. But he is worship, worthy to be worshiped. And so in that, this picture here is a sacrifice of worship, is that the ability to be able to bring worship to him. And it's more than songs. It's, it's prayer. It's a heart. It's, it's calling on him. It's speaking to him. It's, it's posturing yourself. in in that position of being bowed before him, worship. The interesting thing that, although it's true, if Satan can stop your worship, then he can have access to anything else in your life. We come to the end of Job, Job 42, verse 7. We're going to pick it up, verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he says to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends. Now, if you had read the story of Job, you will understand this better. I'm not going to take the time. I'm angry with you and your your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me and my servant Job. This is God speaking, verse 8. So now take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Beldad the Shuhite, and Zophar, the, Tem- the Namathite, did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted, note that, the Lord accepted Job's prayers. Verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes, gave him twice as much as before. After. Did you note know this? God speaks to Job's friends in this text and tells them, I mean, Job has no more animals. Satan took it away. And God then says, you bring the worship. We're going to do our worship. We're going to start with worship. And so when they came to the place of worship, Job did the praying, but the, the animals that were sacrificed, the sacrifice was the animals. In that sacrifice, worship was restored. And when worship was restored, God began to restore everything else after that. Worship's a powerful thing. Worship is not singing. It's not simply songs. It's not simply a, a liturgical thing done in churches. Much more than that. Worship is done in the homes, in the car, in your workplace, in the place of pain, in your difficulty, in the, in the middle of the night. It's the worship. It's the bringing of your heart before the Lord. And it's the prayer. It's the it's calling on Him. It's, the, it's, again, the posture of you for His worship. And in that, it's not about how you feel. It's not about if you feel like, how many times I don't feel like worshiping today. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like praying. And I want to answer the question. Of course, I say the same thing. I want to answer that with, so what? Because it's not about how I feel. Because when I bring my sacrifice of worship into the house of the Lord, circumstances change. When I praise him, even though I don't want to praise him, when I honor him, even though I don't feel like honoring him, and there's not the beautiful music in the background and everything, and it's not conducive for that moment, when I do that, those are the sacrificial moments. Those are the moments you'll have greater breakthrough than when it feels good. You know, what is it when you have a band playing and worship going on and you worship him? It's, it's natural, you just lift your hands. But when it's hard, when it's difficult, you're in tears, you're depressed, things aren't going your way, a deal fell through, your child turned away from you, you're brokenhearted. It's so difficult to worship at that time. That's when the sacrifice, I sacrifice my worship. And in that sacrifice, breakthrough. Breakthrough takes place. The sacrifice of worship. Beware of a posture of pride. Beware, because in worship, if it costs you something, if it costs you something, you will see blessings. But beware of worship that costs you nothing. Worship that. I worship in my tithes. I return my tithes when I worship. If I don't return my tithes, my 10%, if I don't return my tithes, I have not worshiped him. Say as I will, but I've not worshiped him. I've worshiped him my way. I've told him how I plan to worship him, but I haven't worshiped him according to how he wants to be worshiped. The place is reclaim it. It's time to take this thing back. Reclaim the sacrifice of worship. So release the fragrance, the Lord will remember. Reclaim the sacrifice of worship. And I want to just close with three ways the devil tries to steal your worship. Number one, here's how he does it he's been doing this for a long time. Number one, is through your life circumstances. He will steal your worship through life circumstances. You know, and, and we remember as parents, you'd be in church or in some place and you're just worshiping the Lord music and you've got your kids, mommy, mommy, your kid, daddy, daddy, gotta go pee. You know, daddy, daddy, I don't, give me something to do, I'm bored. You know, and all those things. And you keep getting yanked out, keep getting yanked out. You're at home and you, you know, you're maybe in time of prayer and this goes off, your dog goes off, your neighbor goes off, the alarm goes off. You know, and it's, you're always being pulled out, telephone. Yeah, things pulling you out, pulling you out, pulling you out. Circumstances. Life, it's life. That's life. We know that. Here's what I want to say. I want to read a scripture. Psalms 121, verse 5. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Well, that's nice. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. That's good. Verse 8. This is the key. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. Now let's slow it down there. The Lord will watch over your coming and and you're going. It's the Lord who watches over your coming into His presence, and it's the Lord who watches over your going out of His presence. You and I need to make up our minds that even when you get pulled out of His presence, and we do, even when you get pulled out of His presence by whatever temporary earthly priorities take place, and we do, that you're going to stay close to the door so you can quickly slip back in. There's the key. There's the key. That's worth writing down. There's the key. When you slip out, don't leave the door too far behind. You, people all the time, you know, I've, I, haven't, I haven't been able to pray for days. I haven't been able to pray for weeks. I haven't read my Bible for weeks. I haven't read my Bible for months. I haven't gone to church for months. I haven't gone to church for years. I was on the phone with people who said that. I haven't gone to church for years. I got an email. I haven't been in church for years. And I don't know really where it stopped. It just slowly began to stop. And here's the point. He is, the Lord watches over your coming when you're in his presence, and when you step out, don't go far. Life will pull you out. Life will stop moments. Well, you get interrupted. You can't spend time with God, but don't let another day go by. Keep close to the door. Keep close to the door. If you stay close to the door, you can slip back in quick. But the enemy would have it so that you keep going. And he brings guilt, he brings defeat, he brings shame and all that. And then and forgetfulness and then you just, time goes on and the door, you can't even see the door to get back anymore. Stay close to the door. (laughs) Stay close. Stay at the edge of worship. That's what I want to say. Uh, Number two, worship can be stolen by setting our affections and loyalties on the wrong source. And if we've ever learned anything in the last eight to nine months, it's that the source isn't a building. It's not a building. Let me use an illustration. So um, we know there's power that turns on these lights. So we have electrical panels, two major electrical panels. The power comes in, lights go on. Uh, and on the platform up here, there's uh, outlets. So there's an outlet on this side, and there's an outlet on that side of the platform. I think there's an outlet on that side. And uh, on this outlet, now... There's power in that outlet. If I popped the uh, case off, there'd be a black wire and a white wire. And if I took those two wires and I decided to be the common denominator to join them, I'd get a little bit of a surprise. It wouldn't surprise me actually. Been there, done that. And and I'd get a shock. But it would be a mistake to say that's where the power is coming from. That's the source. That's a, that's called an outlet. Now you trace that on back. You go back and go to an electrical panel. That's still not the source. You have to trace the electric panel out to the road, still not the source. You have to trace that to a generating plant. That's the source. There's power here, but the source is not there. This is an outlet. Now, here, follow with me. The source of what all of us need from God is not in this building, it's God. The source is not in a person, it's God. The source is not in the song, your favorite song. That's not your source. So when what happens, we, we can quickly, the enemy will do this. The enemy will get you to place your loyalty and trust in an outlet and presume that that is the source. But it's not. The source is God. And you can't take him out. Source is God. He's with you wherever you go. So this building, you can shut it down, turn the lights off and lock the doors. Nobody can come in. It doesn't stop the source. Hallelujah. You can stop playing music. Music's not coming in. It's not coming in through, you know, your earphones. They stop the music. It's not your source. You can stop all the preachers and pastors. That would be a sad day, but it would not be the source. Source is God himself, the source. Now, these all outlets are all part of the distribution but they're not the source. Here's the key. The key is, it's important, discouragement is when we allow the the thief to steal from the source. We need to know worship can be stolen by standing our affections and loyalties on the wrong source. Last one is, uh, is sometimes we have to throw something down that we've been putting our trust in. That's not of God. And Moses is the story in the book, in the wilderness. Moses had that burning bush experience. The bush was burning. God was speaking to Moses. Moses would, for the next 40 years, have to remember, wow, I can't remember. God spoke to you. Remember, God is with you. But in that burning bush experience, God asked one thing of Moses. And and it was, Moses, you've got a rod. It was his identity. It was his comfort. It was his security. Moses was a shepherd. He had hooked many a sheep with that rod. He had chased off many an animal with that rod. He had walked many a mile with that rod. And God says, I need you to throw it down. And I need you to trust me. You see, it's easy to trust your rod. Now it's time to trust me. The rod is good, but I knit. And so it's time to trust me. Sometimes we put our trust in ill-gained places. And the Lord is saying, whatever that is, I've, put my, I've been putting my trust maybe in the wrong spot. I've been putting my trust in my finances, putting my trust in my RSPs, putting my trust in the home I live in, putting my trust in I'm really healthy, I can live forever, putting my trust in, I, you know, I got a great marriage. Putting, all that can be gone. You know that can be gone. Your health can be gone. All we could take from you. Throw down the rod. Throw down your rod to trust God with the most sacred things in your life, the most sacred things. That's what the enemy, he wants to steal from you to keep you believing that's important, whatever that rod is. So I want to close with those points, that if we surrender our life to God's good pleasure, it's about becoming a person of worship. First of all, release a fragrance. The Lord will remember it. That means release your humility. Dismantle your glory. Give him your surrender. Take, get rid of the pride. God, I just will worship you. Secondly, reclaim the sacrifice of worship. Reclaim the sacrifice of worship. If Satan can steal your worship, so start, start praising him. Start lifting a song to him. Start praying when you least feel like it. Do it as an act of worship. Sacrifice of worship. Don't let him steal it. And last, let's not let him steal it when it comes to discouragement, when it comes to life circumstances, when it comes to all these things that we're able to trust God in spite of. He is my source. He is my God. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca